By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. Hey friends, welcome back to Deep Dive. So it is the end of season one. It's the first time officially that we're doing a podcast. And in this episode, we're doing a little bit of a roundup of some of my favorite slash most inspiring moments from various guests of season one. Over the last couple of months, I have interviewed slash had conversations with 12 different people on the podcast, and we're already well underway into recording some of the interviews for season two as well, which is kind of fun. And it's just been super nice to have the privilege to speak to these people, mostly in real life, because in the past I've done remote interviews, but it's just the vibes are so much better in real life. That's been really awesome. And to hear the response that you guys have had to some of the episodes has been really cool as well. So please do keep the nice comments coming on YouTube and on Twitter, and especially if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I think probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from the people that I've interviewed is about embracing uncertainty. I'm going through a bit of like an uncertainty-ish time in my life right now where I've just quit being a doctor and I'm now trying to figure out what the hell do I do with my life. And the good thing from basically everyone that I've spoken to on the podcast is that no one really knows what they're doing. They're all kind of making it up as they go along and one thing leads to another leads to another. And what a lot of people have said is just that the idea of having a plan and sticking to it is kind of a bit of a myth, especially in this world as uh, things change so much. And so that's really been one of my key takeaways, just to be more embracing of uncertainty and more like, you know, I'll try and do my best with what's, with what's going on. I will try and enjoy the journey as much as possible rather than being fixated on the destination. And just kind of see see how things go and just not be overly beating up of myself if things don't follow a prescribed plan that I maybe made a few months ago or a few years ago. Anyway, we're now going to include segments from six of the guests that we've had on the podcast so far. We've got Ben Francis, uh, Chrissy Cheller, Chris Williamson, Unjaded Jade, Mr. Who's the Boss, and Dr. Grace Lorden. And these are some of the clips that I found most inspiring from season one. So I hope you enjoy them. So you start off as like a band of Band of brothers, like you know, mm-hmm. a handf- handful of people in a shed. Yeah, uh, a radiator is a game-changing expense, yeah. <laughs> a game-changing addition to the business. And now, Jim Shark is a billion-plus-dollar company. Mm-hmm. You're the new CEO of it. Like, mm-hmm. how how many employees do you do you know? Have? Uh, we're just over seven hundred. Seven hundred, and you sell all the, all over the world with mm-hmm. offices all over, all around the world. That's got to feel pretty wild. Like, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. Honestly, I still walk into the HQ. So we've got yeah. the gorgeous HQ, and there's the sort of the big logo on the front. Over the road, we've got our lifting club. So yeah. We've got like a gym, manufacturing facility, studios. I, I do walk in, and uh, like I do, still get goosebumps because it's it's such an amazing place. And there's there's a buzz. Like you've got to visit because as soon as you walk in the door, there's a buzz there, and yeah. everyone's lovely. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. Everyone really understands why we do what we do. Yeah. Everyone understands the area that they sort of fit in with that sort of wider plan. Okay. It's it's such a lovely place to be. So it's interesting you say that like everyone's pulling in the same direction because I think I feel like this is an issue we're having as we expanded from three people to 12 people mm-hmm. whereby I'm now having starting to do things like defining our vision and yes. where do we want to be in X number of years and KPIs and goals and all this stuff that in the past I would have thought this is all just corporate bullshit like who cares about any of that? Mm-hmm. Um, presumably, like, like, what was your journey through kind of being more businessy about it? So what you're going through, yeah, so we did that. I used to hate the word corporate. Yep. <laughs> and you're going through, from reading between the lines, what I actually think is the most difficult change, and I think this is one of the most difficult things for any entrepreneur or business person. And by the way, not even owning your own business, if you're running or working in a great business, it's so difficult to sort of 
distribute that control. And I think those that can do that, then after that, it's not plain sailing, but if you've then done that, it's like, you know, it's like a muscle memory, right? If you continue to do that, I think scaling becomes so much easier. Okay. Um, I'll give you, so my sort of breakdown, I sort of break it down into three areas. And I think every great business person needs to reinvent themselves over and over again. So you can't become too like tied in or emotionally attached to sort of, I'm going to say who you are mm. in many respects. So at the start, I found I had a great creative vision. I had, I had a great idea of where, where I wanted us to be. And I, I felt like I dragged the business to where I wanted us to be. And that sounds a bit sort of direct, but you know, it could be having a great creative vision. It could mm. be great at knowing products. It could be great at whatever it is, but you, because you tend to be a one man band or there's not many people involved, mm. you just do what the hell you want yeah. when you want. And it's very instinctive. Yeah. Now you'll then get to a stage where you've got people around you. It might be five people. It might be 10 people. It might be 30 people and an instinctive way of running things is still great, mm. but you can't just do things on a whim because you fancy it. You have to then learn to work in a team, and I don't mean, when I say in a team, I mean you are part of the team, and anyone that's managed a team knows that the team doesn't work for you, you work for them, and you need to make sure that you're really understanding how to work with each different type of people, uh, person. So yeah. some people will love to be organized, and they will love lots of different catch-ups, and you know, some people will be highly creative, some people will be highly logical, some people you'll have to spend six weeks trying to buy them into a new idea, new idea. Some people have to spend six seconds and it's about learning how to work with all these different people. So you've gone from dragging the business to where you wanted it to be, yeah. learning to work with new people. And then that's, it sounds like to a degree what you're going through mm. slash the next stage, which is like, okay, you know how to work with people. How do we galvanize them around a vision or a mission? How do we make them understand where they fit in with that? How do we make them understand that you know, the team that we're working with, touch what is greater than the sum of its parts and really understanding how to articulate yourself and your vision um, and essentially learning how to inspire people. Mm. And I think that's, again, it's very tough. And I hear people a lot of the time saying like, oh, you know, one facet of their personality, oh, that's just me, what am I like? I'm a bit unorganized. Well, yeah. when you're at that level, there's, there's, not an ex there's no excuse for being unorganized. Like, mm. yes, I am unorganized but you do something about it. You either fix it yourself or you build the team in a way that negates that weakness. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. And it's, it, it's, um, I think it gets a bit more serious at that point. And yeah. yeah, you have to learn new skills. And to be honest, that's why I love the job so much and feel like I've got the best job in the world because you're constantly learning new things and constantly reinventing yourself. Let's say someone's watching this and they're thinking they're, they're, they want to get started being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Maybe they're sort of uh, late teens, early twenties, haven't really started anything yet, but yeah. really inspired by you and your journey. Mm -hmm. Any kind of advice um, you'd, you'd give? Yeah, I mean it's fairly standard, right? You have to do what you love because otherwise you'll end up you'll end up giving up. Um, I, I'm a I'm a firm believer now that there's no niche too small, like mm. especially with the internet being so vast. I mean, I always think, and it sounds stupid saying it now. If if I'd have said as a kid I want to be a professional gamer growing up, yeah, my mum would have been like, "You are nuts." Whereas now. It's like a legitimate mm. sport, career, and everything in between. Like even, I guess, with yourself, it would have been so difficult for you to articulate what you yeah. do now yeah. as a kid. Yeah. I just think there's no niche too small. So I think whatever it is, double down on it and just genuinely give it a go. Like Gymshark was the seventh business website product mm. that I'd made, and the other six failed miserably. Mm. Now, unfortunately, that's not a sexy story, so no one talks about the failed apps, mm. the failed websites. They only talk about the one that did well. And... It's a consistent theme on everyone else that's successful that yeah. I've met. They've yeah. failed miserably so many times and they've been 
endlessly optimistic about it and they've just gone again and again and again in the book i think so it's one of the early chapters you talk about finding your why and you reference simon sinek's book start with why um i wonder when it comes to sort of new entrepreneurs or people starting out either in entrepreneurship or, or being a creator to what extent do you think it's important to start with to start with that mission or purpose because it's very important it's okay. so important it's so important if you are starting a brand if you want to start a brand like if you don't know your why just don't do it like i can't stress that enough if you are starting a brand to make money mm. oh like i don't know okay no you should never start a brand to make money if your yeah. core if your if your core ideology is profit mm. if your core value is we aim to make 100 million in the first five years if that's your number one core value i'm not saying it shouldn't be a core value mm. i'm saying if that's your number one core value you're going to plummet because every decision you make will be profit-led not mission-led there's a complete difference okay. so you need your why you need to know why you want to start why you want to start what is the reason and it's a very big question to ask yourself because you'll start understanding that it's deeper than what you first perceived. When women come to me and go, I really want to lose 10 pounds. Mm. I go, why? Yeah. Why do, why? Tell me why. Cause I really want to know why. Yeah. Oh, cause I know I'll look better. Okay. But why, why does that matter? I know I'll feel better. Okay. But why? Yeah. But why? But why? Truth is that bride that wants to lose 10 pounds for her wedding day. It's not that she wants to lose 10 pounds is that she wants to feel confident in her wedding day. So actually, it's not about the pounds she loses. It's the effort she's putting in daily to feel confident on her wedding day. There's a complete difference. Okay. So that why is going to keep her driven longer mm. than constantly stepping on the scales and seeing those numbers not shift. Yeah, I think it's similar on the, let's say, if someone wants to start a YouTube channel, if you, if you do it for the sake of wanting to make money from it, it's really hard to keep that motivation going yeah. to, to sustain that. If you do it for the sake of chasing views, it's really hard to keep going. But if you do it for You're going like, to get really sad. You're yeah. going to get really upset. <laughs> you're going to think you're not good enough. You're going to cross compare. You're going to just never be satisfied. I've been there. Like I can genuinely speak from experience and you're going to completely and truly fuck your mind up. So one thing, one thing I, was, I was intrigued about was sort of your, one of your sort of life philosophies. That sounds like a grandiose way of putting it, but one of your life philosophies is that you don't see, you seem not, you seem to not care about goals. Mm. And that really resonates with me because I also think goals are a bit overrated and it's more about the journey rather than about the destination. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I've been, I've been like spieling on my YouTube channel for the last like four years. And then I read that I, in, in the book, you said something along that effect as well, that like, you know, it's, it's, it's less about the destination. It's not about like the motivation. It's not about the goal. Yeah, I wonder if you can elaborate so on that. Yeah. Motivation is <laughs> so overrated. Like, what? Oh, she's just like jarring and just, just like shut up. Like I hate her. She's, she comes one day, she leaves another day. She's there in a moment. And then I'm like, where is she gone? And then it's just like, I can't be bothered with it. And I can't express enough how you need to stop relying on motivation and start relying more on building consistency and discipline in your day-to-day -day life. Motivation is not something that you can sustain for the rest of your life because there's going to be moments where you don't want to get out of bed. There's going to be moments where you want to eat your favorite pizza and watch Netflix and skip the gym. Totally fine. There's going to be moments where you actually 
don't want to come to work even though it's your biggest passion because mm. you're tired you're drained you're exhausted mentally and physically but consistency is what makes you go i'm going to go to the gym but i'm going to come back home also and eat my pizza and watch netflix with my partner i'm going to go to work but only for two hours you know mm. it's it's that's what consistency is to me okay because most sort of like showing up showing up yeah because motivation to me is either or okay yeah i'm either motivated to go for that 5k run or i don't go at all like yeah yes okay consistency to me is if i don't want to do it one day i'll go for a little bit okay i'll give it a go yeah if i don't want to show up fine i'll take my meetings from home Mm. it's more flexible okay it's more understanding and i see these components as actual humans that sounds really weird but I see motivation as like this sassy diva. She sometimes wants to to go on stage and give her best show, but sometimes she just wants to tell a team to go away and she's not going on stage. Then I see consistency as like this really like humble, genuine person that wants to help you. Mm. And I think you should, people need to start perceiving certain elements as as personas because it will make you kind of distinguish which one you want to aim for more. Yeah. Which one you want to build a relationship with more. Interesting. Okay, so it's, it's so you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off at half past five, and you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit tired today. What do you what do you tell yourself to... This yeah. was the other day for me, actually. I My alarm went off at half five, ironically, and then I was like, oh, it's cold, mm. it's dark, I'm in England. <laughs> like, it's too cold now. Yeah. It's like nearly November, and I was like, I'm so tired, I don't want to go to the gym. And then I said to myself, right, listen, Chrissy, go to the gym today. If you'd feel like this tomorrow, give it a miss. Mm. That's what I said to myself. Like, and I did. Today, I didn't go to the gym. I didn't go to the gym. I was still so tired. I gave myself an extra two hours sleep instead. And that's what I needed. Yeah. But if I'm doing that every day, that's not good. Here's a question for you, man. Yeah. Do you think that people love you for what you do or for who you are? I've been so over, over the last few months. I re, uh, I really thought it was for what I do, especially when it came to friend friendship and stuff. Um, I thought that I I just didn't quite. I thought it was the things that I was doing um, that were the reasons why people wanted to be friends with me, and it was it was surprising when I mentioned this to a few friends and they were like, "No, you actually don't need to do any like." Because if I think about the people I'm friends with, I'm not friends with them for what they do. I'm friends with them for who they are. And it took other people pointing out to me that, well, that's how other people feel about you for me to think, oh my God. And that was quite like a, a profound realization for me and made me realize that I can just sort of be myself. But, in the, but before I'd been like, oh, be yourself. It's all just BS because like choose yourself and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I got another question. Yeah. Do you love yourself for who you are or for what you do? Oh, good question. I think I love myself for what I do. Yeah. yeah. So here's the problem, yeah. right? We want the world to love us for who we are, not for what we do. Yep. We don't want people to love our achievements. We want to feel like we're worth something ourselves. Yep. However, we love ourselves for what we do, not who we are. So we're asking the world to do something that we don't do ourselves. Mm. I want you to love me for who I am, not what I do. Meanwhile, I'm going to love myself for what I do, not who I am. Because I feel like when I achieved something that I feel like I'm worth something more to myself. When I hit that next subscriber count, yeah. when I get that gold plaque, 
diamond plaque when I hit a new best uh, number of plays, when I get more people on my academy, when I put more people into my club night, when I sleep with a more popular girl, when I hit a new number of uh, followers on Instagram. All of these different metrics are things that are hiding the fact that we don't want to give ourselves self-love for what it is that we, who we genuinely are. What do, you, what do you mean by love yourself? Feel comfortable and feel like you are sufficient, independent of how you perform day to day in the world. Mm. The fact that you, stripped of all of your achievements, YouTube channel's gone, podcast's gone, degrees are gone, all of that stuff, are you isolated and stripped bare still worth something to the world and do you feel like people would still love you and still care about you? That's a good question. It's a difficult one. It's a very difficult one. So I got that realization from Aubrey Marcus. Another, this, anyone that's resonating with this, I'll give you the link for this episode with Aubrey. He's just sold on it to Unilever for a huge undisclosed number, like hundreds of millions of dollars, right? The link will be in the show notes below. He said he'd bolstered his entire life with sex and money. So he'd spent his entire life chasing women and trying to earn. He's just sold his company for, 100, for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and he's just got married. What's left for him? Mm. All of the things that he used to be chasing now, he's completed them and he had an existential crisis because he said all of these things that I thought would fulfill me, I've now done it. So who am I? I'd wrapped up so much of my self-worth in the fact that I was chasing this dream dragon of a woman and of a, a figure in my bank account. And now it's got to the stage where Actually, who am I without all of that? Mm. Or who am I once all of that's been completed? And this comes back to what happened when I first started a business. And again, this is another element for young business people. If you attach your sense of self-worth to the success of the business, you are on a path toward misery. The reason is that you don't get to control the fucking market, right? The market will do what the market will do and it does not give one single shit about you. It doesn't care. So why would you say that your self-worth is based on trends in the market? You're literally externalizing your sense of well-being to other people. That's the same as that's the same as people that leave notifications on their phone. It's mm. exactly the same. Okay. You're allowing the entire world, anybody on the planet to intrude on your day whenever they want. This is the same with your business. You're allowing the response of the market to determine your self-worth every time that you put a product out or run an event or release a YouTube video. If you feel crap when your YouTube video underperforms but feel amazing when your YouTube video overperforms, that's fine, that's realistic. You care about performing well. But if you genuinely feel like you are worth more or worth less, Mm. that's a different step. You've crossed a line there. And this is something that I still fight with all the time. I still struggle with it. This is me understanding the path but not having completed the path. So you're on this kind of 12 to 18 month journey of self-discovery. And you said that one of the things that helped is asking yourself, is this thing that I'm doing consistent with the person that I want to be? Yes. Um, well, what were some other things that you figured out about yourself along that, that path? Not telling the truth was a, was a huge yeah. one. Yeah. Um, that I'd just been, people would ask me my opinion on something and I would tell them what I thought they wanted to hear, okay. not what I genuinely believed because I presumed that that would make them like me because mm. I just wanted to be liked. And this was funded or fueled by being a club promoter, which is very transient and transactional. And there is a degree of performative uh, nature on the front door of a club night. If someone says, all right, mate, how are you? And you go, well, actually, man, my dog just died and blah, yeah. blah, blah. They're like, no, I just wanted you to say yes and give me a stamp and go yeah. let me in. So there is 
that was reinforced by work. Some of the other things were mostly to do with opening up and being, being vulnerable because I was in a hyper-masculine, very cool guy world. Mm. And it wasn't, it wasn't uh, how would you say, conducive to having a bad day and opening up to someone about it. It's another challenge as well for anyone that's a business owner or at the top of the tree that's listening. You can feel like because you are the head of your business, that showing any form of weakness shows a weakness in the business. Mm. That if you underperform or you have a bad day, that the people who look up to you, your subordinates and your employees within the business will see you as less will see you as unworthy of leading them because whose who's leader would spend a couple of days in bed because he's feeling down about whatever might have occurred. Um, another thing that I realized was working, working so hard that you have a miniature breakdown, which for me manifested as being in bed for a couple of days and I just couldn't be bothered to get out. And it felt like depression, but I think it was just like small acute breakdowns. Mm. It always happened around Freshers' Week. So one month of constant build-up, constant build And this is when I'd stop partying so much as well. Releasing event after event after event, all on social media, then going and working on the night, four or five hours sleep, then get up the next day, go to the office, make sure that everything was sorted, run another event, fill it, cash the tills, go home, do the next thing. Oh, is this working? This DJ's cancelled, blah, blah, blah. Just constant intensity. Start of October, every single year, I would always spend a couple of days in bed. I'm like, Why? Why is it that I always end up feeling a little bit sort of shitty after this? Because going so hard that you end up snapping is not a sustainable work mm. protocol. It just doesn't, it, it, you can't keep doing that and expect to get consistent results. And punishing yourself because you don't have the tolerance. It's like having eyes that are bigger than your stomach. It's like having a, an appetite for work which is bigger than your capacity for work. Yep. And this is something in a productivity world. Look, I'll get more. I'll just get more done. Um, that is a route toward disaster. For Chris Sparks says, in order to pick something up, you have to put something down. And the presumption is, if I want to be more productive, I will just downregulate my sleep or upregulate my efficiency until I fit this new thing in. Yeah. But you're already working close to your maximum capacity mm. because if you weren't, you would be doing more. Mm. Most people that are driven type A personalities are already working close to their capacity. Mm. And then when you, because you see all of your own inefficiencies, right? You think, yeah, but I spend 30 minutes a day on YouTube. So if I add this new thing yeah. in, I'll just get rid of that 30 minutes a day. It's like, no, the 30 minutes a day on YouTube is there because you need a fucking break from all the work you're doing. That's going to stay. Mm. When you add this in, the place it's going to come off of is going to be optional things that really matter, like spending time with friends and family, like chilling out on a weekend, like getting more sleep. That's what's going to really, really sting. Mm. So those are some of the realizations. Work less, open up more, be truthful, realize that you have curiosities and intellectual desires and stuff that maybe don't align with the person that you thought you were. Because you've talked in a few videos about like manifestation and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. what, or what is, so I've read The Secret. And, I haven't read The Secret. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, everyone I've, I've heard, everyone I've, I've heard speak about The Secret does it in very like disparaging terms that like mm -hmm. all, this, all this manifestation yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. Is, all, is all like BS. Um, but you like talk about it sincerely. Yeah. Or, or it seems to be like, wh what is manifestation to you and yeah. how does it manifest in your life, <laughs> uh, as it were? Um, okay, so to me, it's kind of common sense. Okay. 
in in a way, if you want something, mm. you're going to have to say it out loud. You're going to have to take actions towards it. Mm. And you're also going to probably need a bit of luck because that's how life works. And that's kind of common sense, you know, like if you want a, a certain job, if you want to be a doctor, you first got to decide that that's something you really want. Mm. You've got to be very specific, mm. say, okay, I probably in the next five years, I'm going to have to apply for med school. I'm probably going to want to go to maybe this university. Then you can say it out loud. You can write it down. It becomes kind of a clearer thought. Um, and then you have to use Wait, let me say that again. Um, just through, yeah, like putting it down on paper, you're already thinking about actions okay. of how you're going to go towards that, where that's like working harder for certain grades. And then the element of luck that I guess the yeah. law of attraction comes into, you know, you can call it synchronicity, you can call it luck, you can call it the universe, you can call it whatever yeah. you want to, but there's always an element of that. Okay. Um, so the law of attraction is that to me. It's you decide something and you get really clear on what it is you want. Mm. And then you can also assist that thing with visualizations. Like the more you can picture yourself having that thing, the more likely you are to have it just because you're going to shape your actions towards also getting it. So what would the, vi the visualization thing look like? Yeah. Um, so I think this falls into the realm of meditation. Okay. For example, like closing your eyes. I, I think about this with an exam. Mm. Like the night before an exam, if you close your eyes and you picture yourself in the exam hall, yep. most people, first thing you think of is stress. Mm. You know, you're like flicking through the paper, you've got no time and you're kind of manifesting that version of you being stressed mm. without you doing anything about it. So in order for you to do the opposite, you'd have to visualize yourself being there, being calm, mm. being rational, being yeah. focused and like, you know, feeling quite confident, kind of fake it till you make it. And the more that you picture that and imagine yourself in it, yeah. then the more likely you are to borrow from that visualization and naturally do it. So yeah, it's kind of just imagining the best case scenario, but that makes you more likely to also do that scenario. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I feel like I sometimes accidentally do this without realizing I'm doing this. Mm. Um, there was this guided meditation thing I did the other day, uh, which was sort of about imagining your life mm. some years in the future. What does your house look like? What does the family look like? What are you spending your time doing? And before doing it, I was like, oh, this is going to be some stupid <laughs> meditation thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and, then, and, and then I did it. It was like 20 minutes and I was like, oh. Wow, I've just never spent any time thinking mm. what could my life look like in the future. And I had like a very specific sort of vision of what like my future house might look like. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, in this in this vision, like, you know, the, the wife is tucking the two kids into bed. There's like a third one on the way. We've got a little fireplace. I've got like my little desk in the corner that yeah. has like an iMac on it or whatever. It's like a guitar. I've been playing the guitar. It's like a dog. And it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. And since doing that, like last week, I have been thinking back to that and thinking, oh, I wonder what sort of dog I want. Like, in the future. it's just mm. like, just random. I, re I very rarely think what sort of dog do I want in the future. But the fact that I had, that I did that visualization thing is now like a thing where I feel like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to get a dog in the future. It's, it's obviously yeah, going to happen. That's so cool. Um, and so, I don't know. I feel like I, I want to do more in the way of like this sort of vision boarding -y type stuff. That's awesome. I haven't really got around to Love doing that. it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's basically what the law of attraction is, or at least the way I think about it. It's right. just getting clear on your vision for your life, which mm. we don't do enough. And I don't, I'm not clear on that. But yeah. as soon as, you know, you start to have an idea, it does sort of work its way into your mind more and then you're more likely to make it happen. Would you be open to sharing some of the things in your vision board? 
Or is it like a, a private thing? <laughs> it's kind of private because okay. I don't know. Like, if this okay. is actually what I want. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, have you found the, the manifesting stuff helping in other aspects of life as well? Um, like, in yeah. I think in terms of confidence. Oh, okay. Well, as yeah. in, like, you Im imagine yourself as being more confident. Exactly. And you are more confident. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right? Like, again, <laughs> Often that's how you, you yeah, make it. Do you make it. Yeah. Okay. Or even, for example, with the book, yeah. like when I was writing this book, when I had to go down and sit down and, and you know, was dreading the writing process, yeah. visualizing myself as someone who had written the book, who had finished it mm. and was receiving a nice review from someone about how it helped them, but not in like a stressful way, just like, yeah. a, oh, you know, that was, this was clearly helpful to them. Things like that, you know, it just, it helps you then find that motivation to sit down and, and uh -huh. write. Okay. That's very interesting. And do you, do you do you do this like actively? Do you have like a slot in your calendar for like manifesting time or like how, no. how, how does it work within I your life? Because I have a solid routine of meditation. Mm. Some of those meditations I choose to do on that day could be in the realm of manifestation. Okay. So you and type then, in manifestation meditation yeah. on YouTube and yeah. someone will give you a guided tour. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess that, that must have been that thing that I did the other exactly. day, which is just yeah. like someone talking yeah. like close your eyes imagine yourself five years from now yeah think about the sounds think about the feelings that yeah. kind of stuff and you can just imagine if you did that meditation every day like every day you'd sort of add to that vision oh right? yeah yeah definitely you're like <laughs> oh i have a dog and like oh i'm starting to see like a yeah. poodle you know <laughs> yeah. like would i like a poodle and the next day you do the meditation you're like actually no it's like a golden yeah. retriever yeah. <laughs> yeah okay that's interesting because i guess in my head meditation is like you sit there doing nothing for I think most people think that yeah. there's so many different types like right. visualizations meditations there are like breathing frameworks um just being present and you know hearing everything around you engaging with your senses okay. there's loads and you don't need to I guess again when it comes to meditation I think I overthink it in like uh I need to find the perfect like path mm -hmm. whereas it sounds like what you're doing is just like type in some random meditation on YouTube depending on what you're feeling and just go for it exactly and that's yeah. like obviously Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And because I know that the practice of meditation generally yeah. is good. It doesn't really matter what it is. Like mm. just closing my eyes and like forcing myself to breathe for like five to 10 minutes. I'm showing up like I'm doing the work. Mm. You know, it doesn't need to be like the perfect meditation every day. And if I like it, I can do it again. I don't look at my metrics at all. So I would love to learn from you about like, what can I be doing? How, how, how much time do you spend in, in the YouTube analytics? I look at it for every single video that I post. So two days after it's gone live, I'll kind of, I'll spend a good half an hour just going through it being like, what countries did this hit? How long did those people stay on for? When did the majority drop off? Was there a significant spike or a significant dip? Did certain parts make people go back? Um, things like that. Because you can see all of it, it's like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, you don't, but I think you should. Yeah. I really think I should as well. Like, Yeah. So I found things like, for example, if I asked people to subscribe really early in the video, it was detrimental because you'd get a, um, a drop of like 20% of viewers potentially, but they wouldn't be subscribing. They'd just be irritated by the fact you've asked them to subscribe without okay. showing them why. Yeah. Um, because at the start of a video in the first like 15 seconds, people are very, very easy to lose. It's at that point that they decide whether they're going to, you know, full screen you and kind of invest in this video mm. or whether they're going to, you know, click on one of the 30 that are kind of grabbing their attention from the side. How, how should I start? <laughs> if, I, if I, if you're like, if you were like kind of my, my YouTube mentor or whatever, like how would you advise me to start looking at retention graphs and, and analytics a bit more? What's, what's like a good, a good starting point? Um, I, I would look for troughs. So look at kind of points where you've got viewers that are stable and then when they go down. 
and try to identify why they've gone down at that point. So for example, one of the other things I found was like, I would do a round off at the end of a video. And at the point where you start rounding off a video, anyone who feels like they've got it, they're like, okay, I'm done. This is the end of the video. And so instead what I started doing is the, the second I finish the key content, I'm talking about the next video. So it's literally like, and that's what happened to Samsung. Okay, for the video on this, that's there. For the video on this, that's there. Yeah. And I found immediately that like the amount of clicks I was getting on my end cards yeah. to lead to the next video were like, they tripled. And so my outro now has my face in it. It didn't used to have my face in it. It just used to be this kind of blaring music. Yeah. But now it feels like a continuation of the main content. It does, yeah. And I'm kind of being like, look over there, look over there. And they can see me pointing to videos. Um, and I think actually, I think you said this once, uh, not that long ago, actually, that the people who watch till the end are the most valuable mm. audience members because yeah. they're more likely to follow through, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the end card thing is something that we started doing as well uh, about, about a year ago and it, and it worked really nicely. But kind of beyond that, I didn't really, I don't really look at the numbers because it's... Scary? It's, yeah, it's scary. It also feels like, I, and I don't know if this is a relic of my kind of olden days of like, just I, th- I think I have to drunk the consistency Kool-Aid way too much where it's like once you made a video then forget about the video onto the next one mm. um, and the kind of 1% improvements over time I think I've been doing from my own gut of like oh it would be cool if the next video had this thing and especially when I was editing my own videos that was a lot easier to do now that there's like a layer between me and the video being edited it's actually harder especially because our editor Christian is in Romania it's, 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 it's a lot harder to affect change even with the whole remote thing and even with like frame IO and all this, all this other stuff hmm. that I'm now even thinking to the, the point of like, let's get Christian to switch to Final Cut Pro so he can send me the project file and I can, I can do the Final Cut myself um, so that I can then have more finely tuned control over what's going on in the video. I can understand that. Like I've not still fully handed off stuff that I probably should have handed off because it's your baby, right? It's your face, it's your voice, it's your, it's your name. Um, so I understand that. Um, but to be honest, I've actually benefited a lot from having two people. It's not a big team, but two people who are specialists in their area and who like, I can hand things to, and I know they'll do them better than I would. Okay. Well, what does your team look like right now? So it's editor, camera guy. Okay. It's very, very basic, but it's my camera guy, my editor, they're very, very good at their jobs to the point where I'm like, if I've got any piece of graphics I want doing, I will consult them because I know that they'll know better than me. Oh, how long have you had those guys for? Uh, editor for about three years, camera guy for about a year. So do, you, do you do any of the editing yourself now? I do it as a last resort. If there's like something really urgent, which there does tend to be with tech, like, mm. you know, if Apple does an event, you want to <laughs> react to it, you're editing that video. Um, because you can't ask your employees to stay up all night, although they do that actually <laughs> voluntarily, but I don't ask them. Um, but yeah, so I'll do it if I have to. And like, well, well, one thing that really strikes me about your videos is that basically every second there is something going on hmm. and I can't help but continuing to watch it. And okay. then <laughs> the meta part of me is thinking, ah, oh, I love like all of these different things that are going on to make me encourage encourage me to keep watching this. Hmm. And the content itself is very valuable. And so I think one thing that we do well on this on, on, my, on my channel is that the content is broadly valuable, but we do basically nothing when it comes to the visual side of things. Mm. And it may as well be a podcast. Yes. And I think like that anytime I see one of your videos, I feel like ridiculously inspired. Like, oh my God, like the <laughs> amount of post-production that's gone into this. It's is insane. It's a kind of the, the way I describe it is a, an aggregation of micro refinements. Mm. 
So it's like all that stuff hasn't happened overnight. If you kind of go back through the channel and watch one video every year, yeah. you'd see a few new things each time. Yeah. So like the day that I decided, okay, I'm going to spend more time on music and try to create moods yeah. with what I'm saying. The day I decided to put my face in a circle so I'm visible at all times. Yeah. Um, and we've tried these experiments, looked at those graphs, seen that they've worked and then realized, okay, these are mainstays. Data, is, is it like you have a gut feeling that when I put my face on the thing while showing overlay, it'll yeah. work and then you actually, and then you look at the data or? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So you have a gut feeling, yeah. you try it, it works or it doesn't work and then you action it. And how can you, how can you tell like you adding your face versus not adding a face? It's not like you're releasing the same video face and no face. So yeah. you have a control. It, it's yeah. tough, but like, I think when, when you spend that much time with the data, you have a gauge on how well a certain video will keep people. Okay. So for example, I know that if I make a camera comparison, they don't have good retention. Like an average camera comparison might have 45, 50% retention. Okay. Right. And so if you do a camera comparison and it gets 55%, you're like, that is an outlier. Oh, okay. Or if I do an unboxing or a top 10, if I do a top 10, that's going to get really good retention. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll know what yes. to expect. And in your top 10s, you start out, you start from number 10 rather than number one. Always. And you go, so, so something like, you know, you know, and it starts off, it starts off A and then becomes B and then becomes positively C. And it's like, it's yeah. all so, it's, it's just so <laughs> clever. <laughs> it's, I spend a lot of time on the scripts. Um, and the other thing I do actually is when I'm scripting, mm. I'm thinking of three different people. Okay. So there's three people I know in my life of different levels of, I guess, tech enthusiasm. Yeah. And so with every line, I've almost reached a stage where I'm scanning it, being like, is this interesting to all these three people? Would yeah. they watch this? Would they watch this? Would they watch this? Would they understand this? Is this funny to them? All that kind of stuff. And I think when you do that, you end up with a script that is a little more broadly appealing than it would otherwise be. How much time do you spend on scripting? That's, that's most of what I do. <laughs> okay. So like for a stand, let's say for a, a kind of Google Pixel versus iPhone 13 Pro camera comparison, 22 minute long video. So that would, is it 22 minutes? 22 minutes, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was your toilet break. That was my toilet break, yeah. <laughs> um, watching at double speed, obviously. Oh, oh yeah. dear. Um, I think that was probably three and a half days of scripting. Three and a half days? Yeah. Of like, are we talking eight hour days? No, we're talking like 14 hour days. We're talking like... 42 hours spent on scripting a single video ages and ages and ages because i do the initial kind of like what i think is going to happen yeah then i test the phones and kind of like because remember like what i'm saying i am having to create my own findings yeah. i'm not taking things and like doing you know passing them on yeah so you have to make sure for every single thing you say it yeah. is correct and that that is one thing that i almost wouldn't i wouldn't trust anyone else with yeah. Because it's my name that's, and my yeah, integrity. Yeah, that's your secret sauce as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I know how to test these products, but it takes time. Bloody hell. What about for like a, a stand, like, so you, so you did a video that was um, ways in which tech is bad. Uh, or so, so, to I'm type, worried about humanity. Yes. Yeah, okay. that, that was a bit of a departure from your it was. phone's it was. vibe. Yeah, um, that, <laughs> you're not going to like this. It took about eight days of scripting, I think. So about a hundred hours of scripting, something like that. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't keeping track, but it was a long time. It's the kind of time that like the practical part of me is thinking like, is this time well spent? Um, but sometimes I kind of like I get carried away thinking about how viewers are going to think. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about these three different categories of viewers yeah. and. Um, 
And then sometimes scripts get away away from you. It's like, okay, this should be a 12-minute video. And then you actually try and do it and you're like, oh my God, that's 25, 26 minutes. Mm. Um, so sometimes things add up out of your control. And I don't tamper them because sometimes I'm like, it's okay. This is going to be a big project. This is going to do really well over time. Yeah. It's going to hit the YouTube criteria. It's fine. We'll yeah. spend more time on it. Tell me more about your about, about your process for videos. Like, mm. I'm gonna I'm going full selfish mode, and I just wanna I just wanna learn from you here. <laughs> so, before, I think most YouTubers, when you reach a certain size, you start planning videos backwards. So, when you think okay. about a video, you're thinking about thumbnail, title, would people click on it, mm. um, and then from there, you're like, okay, what's the content going to be like? Is it engaging? Is it delivering value? Will people finish that video thinking, whoa, I like this guy? And then at that point, then you're thinking, you take a step further back. It's like, okay, what's the storyline? What's the subplot? How, how are you keeping people throughout that video engaged? Yep. And then you work all the way back. And then that's the point where you've got your content. You know what your next step is. But the way the normal, the trigger point is either an idea I've had in bed yep. or some past video that did really well that people really enjoyed. And they're like, can we have a part two? Yeah. Or something someone else has done that I think that's a really interesting idea. What if I applied it to phones yeah. or, you know, gadgets or whatever? I really got a sense that there, there was a storyline because you were like, I'm going to tell you about this product, but there's like, uh, but, but there's a question here, like, who's it for? And it was like, you were, you kept on, that was like a thread going through, mm. going through the content. And all that stuff is the stuff that you do in your kind of multiple passes of yeah. figuring out. It's almost like writing a book. It where, is. Yeah. It is. In my head, like, I never thought I'd write as much as I do. <laughs> like when I was a kid, I thought I'll be doing something where I'm working on an Excel spreadsheet or something. It didn't occur to me that my job is basically video essays. I started listening to your book about four or five days ago, and the very first chapter talks about this idea of me plus. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you can like, elaborate, like, what does, what does me plus mean? <laughs> so if you, I mean, if you go back to the economics, we're really good, I think, at, making, at, at helping ourselves in the present day. So we know what makes us happy in the moment, but very often the things that we have to invest in to give our future selves a better future, we don't often do. So what I like people to do is to think about where would they like to be if it all worked out? So if they threw out, you know, loss aversion, if they threw out fear of failure, where will they actually end up being? And have that be their me plus. But before they commit to that being their me plus, really think about what will that me plus actually do? Because I've noticed a lot of times when I talk to people about careers, they're attached to a label. So mm. they want to be a trader or an investment banker, or they want to be a doctor, or they're attached to a lifestyle. So they want to be able to go on a particular vacation or buy a particular car. And the kind of think big journey is really thinking about if I were to be a doctor, if I were to be a trader, what would be the tasks that I would be doing on a day to day basis? And would I ultimately end up enjoying those tasks? So the activities that I'm going to spend the time in. And there's two reasons for that. So one, it makes you happier to actually do tasks that you like, which feels like a no brainer. But secondly, if you're engaged in tasks that you like, you tend to be more successful. And it's the second that I'm really interested in and in kind of getting people into jobs where they feel that they've reached the success that they want. Okay. Interesting. And do you think when it comes to being engaged in tasks that, that you like, some people say it's a case of find the thing that fits within your values, your personality. And when once you find that thing, then you'll find it fun. And then there's another school of thought that says, well, you know, the whole finding something that you're passionate about is actually kind of hard to do. So think about the stuff that you're actually doing and find ways to make it more interesting for yourself. Uh, how how do you how do you feel about those two different different camps? <laughs> I don't really feel that, that they're different. So you know, so so people are claiming now that they choose companies 
based on the values the companies might have. Mm. And I think that's true in the same way that we choose a company based on a salary. But when you're actually in the job, what tends to matter with respect to productivity and happiness is how you feel in those tasks in that moment. And if I'm working for a company that's saving the environment, but I'm being treated really badly in a microculture in order to save that environment, there's a couple of companies come to mind when I think about that. Um, then I'm not going to be productive and I'm not going to be happy. And I'm actually likely to leave that, that, that job. So it's more about going beyond thinking, what is the company's mission? What is my personality? And what is the microculture of the team that I'm going to be working in? And will that make me happy? Will I be connected to the mission because my team is connected to the mission? It's very hard to assess in advance when you're applying for a job. It's really hard. It is. It's really, yeah. really hard. And I think then if you bring it down to the tasks and asking at an interview, what will I be doing on a day-to-day basis? Um, so when I come to work for you, Ali, what would I be doing on a day-to-day basis as part of your team? Mm. Um, so if you can imagine me on a Monday, how will I spend my time? The fact that you as a manager have thought about that, firstly, will tell me that you're a good manager yep. because you'll know actually what you want the person to do um, and you're not just hiring blindly. But the second is having that information allows me to make my mind up because if, the, if I like the tasks, I'm probably going to like the team. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. So uh, that was a big part of the message that I took away from the Me Plus stuff. And the way it it manifested in my life when I read it, I was I was thinking, okay, you know, let's engage with this. Like what's what's kind of what does Me Plus look like? And initially I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd really like to have six pack abs. And then I came across the bit where you were like, no, 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 forget about that. Focus on like what, what what do the tasks look like? And I was like, okay, you know what? what I want me plus to do is to be able to exercise every day and to have fun doing it. Yep. Um, and so for the last four days, I've actually been to the gym. I went to a yoga class yesterday morning. I did a, a workout at like 8am this morning awesome. and I, I've never really done this sort of thing, but I was like excited about that. I, I, I was excited that the end goal was not six, pl- six pack abs. I was excited that the end goal was that in a way there wasn't an end goal. And it was a case of just, I want to be able to enjoy this. Um, is that the sort of thing that you get a lot when you're doing this sort of research that process yes. rather than outcome kind of thing? So I kind of write a lot for kind of people who mightn't have made it yet or people who have plateaued. So if you, if you take the exercising analogy from somebody who's contemplating doing the kind of a 5K run rather than somebody who is contemplating doing the London Marathon and is really well placed for that. Yeah. And I think for the person who hasn't done exercise for a while or the person who hasn't really invested in their career for a while, the worst thing they can do is do too much. So if you hadn't invested for a while, the worst thing you could do is go to the gym for three hours. You might get through it today, but the chances of repeating that are really, really small. And I think kind of the, one of the big powerful messages underlining Think Big is whether you're focused on your health or whether you're focused on your career, it's those small actions that you take today will determine yourself in two years time, three years time and four years time. And actually by throwing out the idea that you're going to reinvent yourself in 30 days is really, really powerful because you're much more likely to stick to it. You know, you can accomplish an extraordinary amount in 12 months, very little in, you know, 12 minutes or, you know, a a very short period of time. You know, I've been making videos semi-themed around productivity for the last four years and a big chunk of the advice boils down to consistency and just showing up and taking small actions repeatedly and in a way, not really worrying so much about the ultimate goal. Um, and these days I teach I uh, teach courses helping people become like YouTubers and stuff. And, and the way you become a successful YouTuber is you just make one or two videos every week for the next like five years. Um, but no one sticks to it for that long because it's, they have like the, oh, I must hit a certain subscriber count. I must hit a certain like view count. And my view on this is that having like in a way those outcome metrics, the ones that are outside of our control, 
are kind of unhelpful, especially at the start of a journey. Do you have any thoughts on, on that point? Well, when you were talking, it actually reminds me, I, I watched a video of yours on compounding. Oh. <laughs> so when people are choosing to invest, yeah. we accept compounding very, very easily, right? So we accept the idea actually that, you know, if we leave money in for a very long period of time, it's going to compound. So we're probably going to be okay in our pensions. And it's exactly the same here when it comes to your career, like those very small things that you're going to do today. And I asked for a commitment of 90 minutes a week, which for most people, regardless of how pressurized you feel, is very very possible um that should compound once you do once you've chosen tasks that align with your me plus relatively quickly okay 90 minutes a week that's like 13 minutes a day ish yes very doable it is <laughs> for, for most things yeah <laughs> um one one bit that i was going to ask you about that I, I i thought maybe i disagreed with was you talk like the title of the book is think big yeah and the vibe i got from the chapter around goals is that you're keen on people setting or uh, perhaps not, but like one camp of people in the sphere is encouraging people to set these big, hairy, audacious goals and then figuring out the small steps taken you can, you can take to get there. But then there's another camp, and this is sort of where, where, where I think I am, whereby I think in a way I feel maybe setting goals is a bit overrated because if you're setting a goal, then you're essentially to me that feels like a contract to be unhappy until you hit the goal and then you hit the goal and then you have this like fleeting sense of like, oh, I hit a million subscribers. Cool. Yeah. You know, my day to day hasn't really changed, et cetera, et cetera. So the way I kind of think about goals is I try, I try and throw goals out of the window and instead just focus on those, like, what do I actually want to do? But I don't know if I'm just like BSing myself and like. <laughs> well, it looks like, I mean, you're doing okay. So it, 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 that seems to be working for you. I mean, I think it's, so, so for people who read the book, the goal is really there to serve two purposes. Yeah. So one, so that you start investing in your career. So it helps to find the tasks this week. Hmm. And two, so that you actually bring your future self forward. So you're not always investing in activities that just serve you in the present day. But in the book, I do talk about the idea that every um, Sunday, so every kind of, well, I, I pick Sunday because it's the start of my week, that you reflect on how the week previous went and you look to see whether or not there are new opportunities that you should be pivoting your goal for. So I see the Think Big part of the book as really giving people a direction so they can set off on a journey yeah. and they start walking yeah. and more interesting things might actually come along but they make a conscious decision to, to follow those interesting things. So then they go off on a, a slightly different journey. So if you take your own career, for example, it was probably a great idea that you studied medicine in Cambridge, right? And now you have an entirely different career, yep. but you are using some of the skills that you actually learned in the university. So in that particular case, you would have sat back and said, actually, do I really want to pivot and do a large pivot? And the answer would have been yes. But had you never gone into med med uh, medical school, maybe you would never have started walking in this direction and come to the destination. So it's really about movement. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Um, I was having these thoughts. Uh, it, was, it was a few weeks ago and I was on a date <laughs> and we went, we were kind of driving around afterwards, just like chatting. And I was kind of thinking that like driving around without a destination, it's just like if it felt a bit wrong. And so I just put the destination of the like the McDonald's drive through in the sat nav and it wasn't really about the destination. It was about, the, okay, I've got a destination. Now Now I know what the, what, what the journey is. And when we got to the McDonald's drive-thru, it was like, what, what else? It's a McDonald's drive-thru. Like, the, the destination is actually not that important. But the point is, I was thinking, huh, maybe having the destination lets you kind of set the direction for your journey. And then you can always change your mind as you, as you go further down the line. And as humans, we love certainty. 
So even if we've created for ourselves, this is the goal that we're moving towards and we change our mind. Yeah. For the period of time that we're moving, there is certainty. One of the biggest things that hampers people's growth and you know stops them kind of getting to the place where they probably deserve to be is that they feel that the, the journey is actually uncertain. So by kind of having that destination allows you to kind of to, to move towards it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. This reminds me of advice I got when I was in, in med school where like once you once you've done your once you start your clinical years the question everyone asks is oh what specialty do you want to do and the honest answer for the vast majority of people is i don't freaking know i have no idea yeah. <laughs> like you know there are those odd like weirdos that i've decided on the age of, at the age of three they want to be a neurosurgeon yeah um but for most of us it's like honestly i don't know i just want to kind of get a feel of different specialties and kind of um and the advice that one of one of the consultants who i really respected gave me was that like honestly just pick something and start moving towards it because then you will start doing things that will build up your CV and you'll start actually finding opportunities your way. Yeah. And then if you want to change your mind, it's much easier to change direction when you're moving forward rather than when you're, when you're stationary. And you learn about yourself as well. What do I like and what do I, what do I dislike? Which you won't do if you're just, if you're kind of standing still. So kind of, you know, I write about what should you do if you have no idea what you want to do in the mm. future, where, where a lot of young people are and yeah. actually people who, you know, in, who, are, who are later in life. And again, it's really about thinking, what do I kind of like doing now? So let's do some more of that and move towards a goal. And then on the way, being really reflective, am I enjoying these tasks or am I just doing it because I like the idea of becoming a surgeon or becoming a lawyer or becoming another job title? Mm. And I really want people to move away from the second. You know, I kind of think with the future of work, we have this disruption where people who are able to kind of pivot, know what their skills are, job craft, which which you've mentioned already, it will really stand to them. Mm. Yeah. So it's like you're moving away from being and more towards doing. Yes. being a doctor versus like what does the day-to-day of practicing medicine actually look like and does this sound like the sort of thing that is my idea of fun right now and i guess i guess like it's it's kind of you know there's that thing in 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 the research about it's it's hard for us to predict what will make us happy in the future yeah but it's a reasonable first approximation that the sort of stuff i enjoy doing now like talking to people like you or like making videos is likely to also probably make me happy in the future. And if it doesn't, then, well, I can just change course. Yeah, this is like a grid search. So what, 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 you know, what the government should have done in COVID and some governments did incredibly well was what we call this grid search strategy where they get new data, they update their decision-making based on the data and they're willing to go backwards or they're willing to go left and they're willing to go right. And always having that openness to a change of direction. And I think if we kind of bring that into careers that, you know, really we don't know our preferences very well. We've watched some TV when we're young. So depending on what you watch, that (laughs) might actually ultimately determine your career. Maybe you move towards that if you have no idea, but always paying attention to, am I enjoying the tasks? Is it, do I feel purpose? If I was doing this in five years time, would I be really, really happy? And that brings us to the end of season one of the Deep Dive podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed the season. Thank you so much if you've tuned in for to some or all of the episodes. And thank you even more if you've left a review on Apple Podcasts. You can still do that. It'll be linked in the video description or in the show notes. If you'd like to leave us a review, it really does help more people discover the podcast. Thank you as well if you filled out the mid-season feedback survey. We've used that to improve the the quality of the podcast, hopefully, moving forward. Uh, I am taking a lot of the advice that you guys gave for how to become a better interviewer because this is something that's fairly new to me and I'm definitely on this quest to improve as an interviewer over time. Anyway, just wanted to say a huge thank you for watching season one. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year and all that. And hopefully I'll see you in season two in the new year. Thank you and bye-bye.